We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Stop Talk Radio, the world for people who think. Hello and welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots here on Stop Talk Radio. I'm Neil Bradley, my co-host as usual, Joe Quinn. Hi there. And we're joined again this week by Sod Editor Harrison Keeley. Hi everybody. Oh boy, it's happened. Ebola is in the States. That happened sooner than I thought it might. It was there already, yeah. Well, it was there when in the those labs. aid workers were flung back. Yeah. But they, what, there were four of them and they supposedly all survived. Two of them. Yeah, the two, the two of them. There were two of them. This thing got, what, an, officially a 50% mortality rate, but actually we suspect it's more like 90. Yeah. The, well, if you look at the, the past outbreaks of it, the Ebola traditionally has a, you know, 80 to 90% mortality rate. So there have been some outbreaks where it's been as low as 50. So that's what they're saying this one is, but but yeah, the statistics seem to seem to suggest it's more around the lines of eighty five percent. So, so not all Ebola's are created equal. No, apparently not. Okay. Yeah, I was looking it up. It was first supposedly first identified in the late seventies. Yeah, nineteen seventy six. Right. And since then, what? It's mutations, variations on the same thing that comes around and, and around. Um, I I believe so. I haven't looked into the the different strains of it related to the different outbreaks, but there all of the outbreaks so far have been in um, usually like small rural areas. So it hasn't. This is the first outbreak where it's reached a major city. Uh, that's why this one is being called, and it is the the biggest Ebola outbreak um, that that we that the world has experienced because all the other ones have uh, basically isolated themselves to to small rural rural areas where. Um, it just can't spread far enough to have a huge outbreak. There, I think there are outbreaks with as few as a, a couple dozen people to several hundred, but uh, this is by far the biggest. Well, perhaps before we worry about what might happen in the U.S., I mean, what's happening in these cities in Sierra Leone, Liberia, is frightening. Or from what we can tell from reports, I mean, they've got places under quarantine, entire mm-hmm. cities. Basically, no one in, no one out. Um, that's got to be pretty terrifying. Is such a situation likely in the U.S.? Um, well, from officials' reactions thus far, no. They don't seem that worried about it. Um, people are asking that some kind of travel ban be put in place mm-hmm. from the affected countries in Western Africa. But people, I mean, you know, online petitions like that will do anything, but they're at least making their, their voices heard. The CDC or the, the Center for Disease Control in the States responded to that yeah. by saying, no, that would make the situation worse. worse yeah. Not sure of their logic here. Something like, if we shut ourselves off from, if, if we isolate those other countries, mm-hmm. we won't be able to get aid workers in and contain it. It will inevitably spread and spread 
and reach us in some other way. Yeah, I guess because of flights which going to sense, other countries, which kinda. will then come to America. Yeah. yeah. At least that's the rationale. Watching yeah. that guy, though, he's he's so glib on all the all the media appearances I've seen him at. He, this is the guy. What did he say a few days ago? Um, yeah, he was talking about the transmission. He it was in a in a little a little clip with uh, what's his name Sanjay Gupta, the medical doctor. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what what station he's on. And he was saying, oh, you know, you have nothing to worry about. It's not airborne. So so you and me right now, they're standing a, a couple feet apart on the screen. Says right now, if one of us had Ebola, the other would be perfectly fine. Nothing to worry about because it's tr- it's uh, transmitted by touch only uh, bodily fluids. And so Gupta says, oh well, you know, I I was reading your the CDC's protocols on this, and they say that up to three feet, you know, you, it can be dangerous. And he says, and the guy's like, oh, and he's got this huge smile on his face the whole time. And he's like, oh, well, actually, yeah, it's, uh, three feet, we'd probably treat that as a serious situation. We'd definitely want to look into it. So on the, he says they'd be absolutely perfectly safe. And then in the next 30 seconds later, he's saying, well, actually, that would probably be pretty dangerous. We'd have to look into that. Um, I think... <laughs> The PR he's doing here is to reassure people yeah. it is not airborne. But I remember reading back in July accounts from doctors from, uh, what are they, Doctors Without Borders and other people working in West Africa saying they've got cases where people are uh, in no direct contact yeah. with the camps or with the cities and towns immediately affected. It's popping up there. And they were starting to deduce deduce that it must be airborne mm-hmm. or some variant of it is. Um, so, yeah, he's either not saying what he knows or he's not saying what he doesn't know. <laughs> I don't know which situation is worse. You've got a lot of people on alternative media going straight for the juggler here and suggesting that this is some kind of plot. Yes, Ebola was patented by or one of the variants was patented by the CDC in 2009. Now, when they do that, they typically do it with a view to distributing contracts for vaccinations. If there's a plot here, it's sort of out of sync because as far as I can tell, there is no vaccination yet. There was a trial vaccination that they've run out of. There's another trial that started up just this week or two weeks ago. And curiously enough, the company that was awarded it, big pharma here, Glaxo, Glaxo, SmithKline, mm. they were awarded trials, vaccination, I don't know, a contract, I'm not sure how it works, on the same day that they were fined a half of a billion dollars in China over a massive bribery scandal involving <laughs> universities and papers and the peer review system there. So, there's big money in it, but they're not exactly... <laughs> Two things. Several years ago, GlaxoSmithKline, the CEO of GlaxoSmithKline, admitted publicly 50% of their um, uh, medicines, their products, drugs, don't work. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, is that there won't be a vaccine against Ebola until a lot of Western people get it, because there's, not a lot, uh, there's too much money... Uh, in kind of developing the vaccine uh, that has to be paid into or put into um, developing the vaccine for too little uh, return, i.e. there's not enough African people have it. 
yet and they don't know that it's going to spread so they're not going to put any money into a vaccine seriously until uh, it goes kind of pandemic. So you see, you have to wait until uh, many people are in danger of dying from Ebola like I'm talking here, millions before Big Pharma will actually act to produce a vaccine because then they will get the money back. That makes no sense from the point of view of stopping a pandemic. They don't perfect care. Perfect sense from the point of view of good business. Well, it's good business. That's it. The almighty dollar is what rules the day. Everything else is subservient to uh, what, a few million, and they probably think a few million, you know. Well, they're, no they're predicting there. now it'll reach France and the UK by the end of this month. Yeah. Uh, they have to whip, whip up a bit of uh, fear about the whole thing as well, you know. Um, how, I mean, it's, how fearful it's, should people be? I mean, well, people shouldn't be fearful. It's lethal. It's yeah, it is pretty pretty lethal. If it spreads, uh, if it becomes, if it's contagious, essentially, like as an airborne, not just from direct contact. But it's the same as a kind of uh, big pharma operates in the same way as big business or, or sorry, big government operates, which is that, you know, big, big government makes money from wars. So they tend to generate a lot of uh, fear in advance of uh, going to war so that people will support them uh, in their war and that soldiers will go to war. They have to have a good reason for it. They have to be scared into going to war to make money for the military industrial complex. The same thing applies to big pharma. They have to put out a lot of, they have to have a, you know, a, a run-up, a, a a precursory kind of a period during which they scare everybody with the idea via the media of Ebola uh, so that if and when it goes pandemic uh, and then they produce, start to produce their vaccine, then everybody will sign up for it and they get their, their money. Yeah. Um, that's the world we live in, people. I'm sorry to have to tell you that, that that's the kind of world we live in. That's the people who make decisions, life and death decisions over... Uh, uh, you know, for for most of us, for all of us, um, but that's that's what it is. So you know, you either accept it, that's the real, reality you live in, or you stick your head in the sand and you know. And since you're down there, you should probably kiss your ass goodbye, um, because sticking your head in the sand is gonna is the surest way to uh, to find yourself in an early grave, uh, one way or another. If you want to stay alive, you got to keep your head out of the sand, awake and aware, and using your brain to figure out what's actually going on, and that involves facing into the reality of the world in which we live, which is a psychopathic reality, a reality, a world run by psychopaths, a psychopathic morality having spread down through the tiers of society, uh, through all sorts of business and uh, you know right across the board, and um, nobody cares about you. In fact, a lot of them more actually see you as, as a, you know, a cash cow. How can they make money from you, you know? And they're exploiting you, you know, particularly the upper echelons of people in government and various in, around the world. They all look at ordinary people as ways to exploit and get something from them. And they care nothing about whether or not you live or die, essentially, because there's lots of you. So a few million, even a few hundred million out of 8 billion uh-huh. what's that you know these are useless eaters uh-huh. anyway according to Kissinger well he talked about military men right 
Uh, did he say that about military men? Dumb, stupid about animals. Yeah. Dumb, stupid animals. But I think everybody was a useless eater, according to Henry Kissinger. Um, so there you go. Happy Halloween. Scary. Well, it's Halloween. Yeah, that's that'd be, that'd be I mean, <clears throat> that's one of the, the the context in which Ebola. Yeah, it's just another thing, really. Itself, it was not that terrifying because, uh, like you've just described, it's the the psychopathic context in which it's happening. That's scary. You know, you've got a lot of people saying, well, oh, the government's got a patent on it. There's a depopulation agenda. This is all planned. No, but that depopulation could damn well happen Mm. just as a consequence of the kind of reality we're living in. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a conscious plan. If you have a group of people in power who do not care fundamentally about the lives or the well-being or the health of the masses of citizenry, well then eventually, and in fact quite quickly, they are going to enact, and and they're given the power to enact laws and pass laws and and make decisions for the citizenry. Eventually they're going to do stuff uh, that uh, pass laws or you know, engage in some kind of activity that is going to negatively, negatively affect the population through sheer negligence and thinking only of themselves. You know? I mean, it's not hard to imagine. You know, just think of an extremely selfish person and then imagine yourself relying on that person in time of need. You're going to die mm-hmm. if you rely on that kind of a person. That kind of a person are the people in power around the world who are making decisions, passing laws who are in control of the police force and the military, and they do not care about you. Uh, therefore, the people in that, in that scenario, the people who, who want to give themselves the best chance of surviving and even thriving um, are people who recognize that. The people who think that these people care about us, well, you're walking you know, off the edge of a cliff. You're walking into a trap. You're, you're blind, essentially. You know? I mean, you're in the jungle and you're naked. <laughs> They're going to eat you, you know, if you don't realize what's actually going on. So, I mean, it's not rocket science, you know. It's just emotionally rocket science. It's not intellectually rocket science, but emotionally it's rocket science. Because people, you know, have a hard time uh, believing or or, or giving up their beliefs or changing Uh their beliefs, their dearly held beliefs. And generally, a very strong belief that people have about uh, the world and everything in it is that we're all the same and generally people are good and all this kind of stuff, you know. So, and people need to believe that because the reality that we're pointing to here for which there is abundant evidence on the ground uh, is not very pleasant. It's scary. And generally, you know, it's understandable. People don't want to face themselves into a scary world, a threatening world. They want a nice, comfortable, you know, protected, protective society and world. But that's not the way it is. I'm sorry. And it's not me or any of us that are saying that it's just look outside, look at what's going on. Look at the look at the practices and procedures of of people in positions of power and you'll see that it's scary and threatening. So there's a an RT America show called Into the Now, I think, where journalist goes around with a mic asking people on the streets of New York what they think about the Ebola issue and about half of them didn't even know what Ebola was. Hmm. Uh-oh. <laughs> Ebola what? Ebola what? Ebola cornflakes. <laughs> <laughs> one guy thought it was a band or something. And then this one guy is like, 
Well, yeah, I guess the government and uh, the powers that be, and I thought, oh, oh, wait, wait. This guy might know what he's talking about. I guess the powers that be are keeping a close eye on it. As in, they got it. You know, we got you covered. <laughs> that, 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 that actually reminds remind me of someone, uh, it's just a kind of a joke, um, about the, a bowl of cornflakes. Uh, someone say, uh, believed that, um, or wanted to know, I think it might be on the web somewhere, but someone wanted to know what BDs was. You know, and uh, how do you get it and uh, why is it uh, killing so many people? And uh, what we should do about this threat from BDs? And nobody could figure out what the hell uh, this person meant or what it was. And eventually they figured out that she was, <laughs> uh, she had been hearing of different people with uh, diabetes. And that they had they had diabetes, <laughs> so they had diabetes, and uh, so that's kind of like the Ebola, you know. Ebola coming to get you. He died of Ebola. Ebola what? What was there like something wrong with his cornflakes? Ebola cereal. <laughs> so, I mean, there's this. I saw this blog post. You know, don't listen to what the government's saying about it. You gotta look after yourself, right? Right on, okay. And then make sure you go out and stock up on boxes of surgical masks, protective gloves, gallons of bleach, hand sanitizer, special sealing striping for windows and doors and stuff, sanitizing clothing, shower frequently, clean your hands, etc., etc. I mean, when we say people should be thinking for themselves, should they, you know, proactively do something about Ebola in specific. Mm. It kind of, it's kind of, is, is it a no-brainer or given that it's not a pandemic and it's extremely likely that right now not that many people in the States are going to contract it. Uh, is that in the end part of the same hype about this one, this one threat? You mean people, um, Having to get surgical masks, being told to get yeah. surgical masks. No, not being told to. This is like some blogger saying, "Do that, yeah, do this, prepping. do this." Do this. The prep for it, you mm. know, preppers for Ebola. I, I, I'm thinking, don't prep for Ebola in particular because if we're right, and we probably are, something far worse is coming behind it. Yeah. Mm. The kind of plague, the kind of Ebola that people, you know, you don't wait 21 days. Mm-hmm. to die from. Yeah. Uh, history shows it's almost instant in some cases. People have a, you know, people need to be aware that they've been, everybody listening to this show uh, grew up in a, in a society, no matter where you live, um, where you were encouraged and your parents were encouraged to eat food that was fundamentally bad for you. Um, basically a very high carb diet, a low fat diet, and depending on your age, it has certainly compromised your immune system. So um, that information, the, the, the information now that high-carb diet is bad, particularly for viruses, and, and that it feeds viruses, and a low-fat diet is extremely bad because these low-fat products are essentially uh, not really food, and they're toxic to your body, and, and that not eating good, natural, healthy fats like animal fat is extremely bad for your health as well. And conversely, eating animal fat is good for your health. It's all 
all of this information is available now. So with that information, everybody has a responsibility to take responsibility for their own health at this stage when it's been proven now and there's, you know, stacks of evidence to show that the people who have been producing our food and making decisions about what food we should eat and what food is available certainly did not have our best interest at heart and we should never trust them again. Um, therefore, we should decide ourselves uh, what we should eat and take responsibility for our own health and a crucial part of health, obviously, is what you eat, what you put through your body. So um, at this point, nobody, uh, certainly nobody listening to the show and nobody who's interested in informing themselves has the excuse of, uh, or has an excuse uh, if and when they kind of come down with some kind of a, a serious life-threatening viral infection because there are ways to mitigate that danger uh, through diet and a healthy lifestyle. And um, and also one of the other things is smoking, and this is a big one, you know, we've talked about this before. Um, there's several uh, new studies um, about tobacco, about the beneficial eff- uh, effects of tobacco. There's historical reports about how it was used in the time of the, the last plague to uh, prevent uh, infection. And um, there's, I think there's a recent report Apart from the report from a few years ago that said that there's an element within tobacco leaves that is actually uh, anti, antiviral. antiviral, but there's also, they're talking now about making a vaccine yep. using an element from the tobacco leaf. What, uh, is that the ZMAP? Yeah. Yeah, and that actually relates back to the two Americans that came back uh, with Ebola and allegedly survived and, and uh, got healed. The The story is that they they were given this experimental drug uh, ZMAP, and it's it's kind of a vaccine. I don't know the exact science behind it. It's like a um, mono mono something. It's it doesn't work the ex- exactly the same way that a a regular vaccine does with the antibodies. It's injects something in you after you've already got the disease, the virus, to to then um, kill it or something like that. And so these two um, these two volunteers were treated with it. There's a whole backstory to this drug. The it kind of relates back to what you were saying, Joe, about them not putting money into to this mm-hmm. because there hasn't been basically there's there's just no um there's no market people, yet. Yeah, it's not a big enough market yet. But that's that's what some people are saying um, is the reason why this drug wasn't like mass produced beforehand and ready mm-hmm. to be there. But the but the the weird thing about it is that the company the well first of all the guy that developed this method what it basically is is growing these yeah instead of chicken yeah. eggs basically which is what they usually use to incubate and grow the yeah. vaccine they use uh some compound from a tobacco leaf and it can do it well, in actually, a they, few weeks as opposed to six months yeah. i think for a chicken egg they it's kind of like well i don't know if this is if the science is right but it's kind of like gmo where they inject the tobacco plant with something and, mm, the, and the tobacco produces. plant yeah grows it so it's not actually a substance that is in the tobacco um it's something that they right, that they combine with yeah, and combine with it and then it grows really fast yeah. but the guy that the, the the guy that developed this and the company that's been working on this both have ties to um like organizations involved in biowarfare and well um, bioterrorism to you know to prevent from mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but defenses the, the entire sector including research is yeah. all part of that same structure exactly. so yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean yeah. it's dubious yeah per se so yeah it just i like uh, i'm open to this it's you know there's two options either it was 
well, at least two options. Either they just didn't fund it just for the reasons Joe was saying out of basically just the market, you know, there's no market for it. Or um, if it is a, a viable drug and it does work and there is some shady dealing, it could be that they they waited for it in order to now push it and make a whole lot of money out of it. So, you know, either way, it's it's kind of totally disgusting that they just the way they operate, mm-hmm. that they are doing it just for money. If this drug does work, you know, it, they should have been, it should have, this project should have been funded years ago. Yeah, it wasn't. Instead, they're not sending 3,000 troops to West Africa, they're sending 4,000. So they say, I don't think they're going to actually send that many. They just keep pumping out the PR because it's what Americans in particular are used to. Oh, they're sending in the Marines. Well, okay, good. We're on top of this. Mm. Well, I think they're they're sending in the Marines. That's always a cover, you know, unless it's an actual invasion of a country. When they send in Marines and humanitarian, this is theoretically a a humanitarian mission of getting three or four thousand soldiers. Uh, They're just there as essentially as bodyguards for uh, other personnel, U.S. government personnel. Um, and uh, business personnel, you know, U.S. government, U.S. business kind of revolving door. There's not much difference there. Uh, to probably to look on, at the situation on the ground and probably to do with uh, not not so much about containing it or anything, but simply maybe even even pharmaceutical representative, representatives of pharmaceutical companies and their researchers to to engage in all sorts of testing and different things to with a view to. Uh, creating a, a vaccine or something along those lines. You know, I mean, the idea of <laughs> military men going to, uh, soldiers going to a place where people are dying from a disease is, is nonsense. Well, you know, when it's like, you know, halfway around the world from, from your country and the U.S. has no specific strategic in- interest in, in that area uh, any more than anywhere else, you know. So to send more or to send troops, to send three or 4,000 troops is just ridiculous and suggests that they're there to, as, as, secu- as a security force, essentially. So I saw this headline today. ISIS to attack U.S. with Ebola. Report claims jihadists to send infected militants to America to spread disease, say Israeli sources. Well, the Israelis are very imaginative with the whole terrorism thing, you know. I mean, you, have to, you can't fault them on that, you know. Um, Rita Katz, for example, is the one who uh, who produces the produces the ISIL videos, the beheading videos. Um, so they're 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 very diligent about it, you know, and they do put a lot of work into coming up with with scary things about Muslim terrorists, you know. So what are they going to are they going to they're going to fire uh, an infected uh, ISIL terrorist out of a cannon? Ebola rockets. In, uh, no, it would have to be an infected person. Yeah. So, yeah, just anybody in America, you need to watch this guy. He's not just for fireballs and stuff, but also for bearded jihadis uh, coming coming with down through bearded the... Bearded jihadis with buboes. With buboes, yes, with pustules or plague-like infections uh, screaming down through this guy saying, Alu Akbar, and landing in your neighborhood and then infecting you all. Well, the Israeli source actually say that among... ISIS and the and the Syrian rebels there there is, there are Ebola cases and it's kind of breaking out in these groups. 
course, there's no actual evidence aside from these Israeli sources saying that. Um, but they're saying that because there's training uh, training camps for these terrorists in Africa, that's how the, the Ebola is getting into Syria and Iraq. Hmm. So it's just it's very shady all around. Yeah. They, so what? Give me the details on that on that report. They they said that uh, they were going to attack the U.S. with Ebola. That's it. No. Was it the? I think I think they said that they were. It was going to be sent back with uh, American troops. Was that it? Yeah. Uh, no. Well, the headline specifically says infected jihadis. Okay. But we sent to America to spread the disease. Right. And they'll uh, go, I'm short on details. Right, so they won't fire them. Obviously, they won't fire them from cannons. But yeah. they, if you see a jihadi in the street uh, in any American city and he tries to hug you, or if he's got a sign saying free hugs, beware. Yeah, because that's how, obviously it's, it needs human contact to, uh, to spread, theoretically, supposedly. So don't hug a jihadi. I'm going to start a hashtag on, <laughs> uh, on Twitter. Don't hug a jihadi week. <laughs> Don't come any closer than three feet. Yeah. Uh, jihadis. Some. Um, Speaking of re- real cats, this is the woman the site mm-hmm. uh, group that releases the yeah. beheading videos. She had a report uh, after the first one. She was interviewed on uh, Fox News or CNN, and she said uh, she was asked how she got these videos. Yeah. <clears throat> And she got the videos by just because well, she has a long history of, uh, of you know, checking for extremist websites and reporting on them, etc. She's a very interesting kind of background as well. She has one. Um, she was born in Baghdad to a Jewish family. Her father was a spy in Iraq for uh, Israel, and he was killed. He was executed as a spy, and then because she was, she left then and went to Israel, and then eventually. Um, her husband got a job over in the U.S. And, and she went with him and set up this site operation. She's got a very appropriate background for someone who's uh, got it in for Muslims type of thing and is really on the, got the Muslim terrorism thing between her teeth, you know. But she she and her team searched the web, you know, the dark webs, that under dark web, jihadi web or something, where uh, people talk about, you know, jihadi type things and um, supposedly, and... Uh, she monitors these, and when she sees a video of a heading, of, of which there have been four so far, uh, she grabs it, and she said this explicitly, that she takes it and publicizes, releases it. She's essentially a publicist for ISIL, mm-hmm. the, 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 the head chopper of ISIL. She's their publicist, uh, their marketing manager, because she gets the video, and she releases it, and said, she said explicitly in this video with CNN that she releases before they're able to. She she gets there before them. So this is propaganda, right? I mean, in the sense of these beheadings are meant to be propaganda for ISIL. That's why they make them, supposedly, right? Yeah, to scare the West. Right. That's why they're in right. English the, the, with Jihadi John yeah, speaking in English. Right, they've got an agenda, right? So if we're at war with these people or if we want to stamp them out, uh, then surely we shouldn't be releasing their propaganda. We shouldn't be facilitating their propaganda. Yeah, that's what they always say. Oh, we can't talk about the details of this investigation into this plot 
Right. Because they would aid the terrorists. Right, so you don't want to aid the terrorists by disseminating their propaganda. So why is an Israeli, uh, the daughter of an, uh, a former Israeli spy, working in the U.S., uh, releasing ISIL beheading videos before ISIL themselves, in quotes, can do that? Shouldn't she just be reporting on it and then having the website taken down and the video destroyed and making sure it never gets... Why is she acting essentially as a publicist? Yeah. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> Call in with your guesses and answers. Well, the only conclusion is that is in order to hype up the ISIL terror threat, it's in order to give the Western politicians and the Western media the substance they need on which to build the case the dodgy dossiers for invading Middle Eastern countries, yep. controlling their resources. I think she, as someone just said, I think she writes their copy as well. Yeah. 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 She's, sat, she's off camera there with Jihadi John, prompting him. She's got flashcards actually behind the camera, you know, cards. She's holding up the script and he's reading them. And uh, Somebody did an analysis and, and said the videos were being made in Israel in some studio. Did well, they just pull that out of their rear end, or probably? Yeah. Uh, with technologies today, they yeah. could be made anywhere, anywhere, literally anywhere. So um, there was another one this week. Yeah, mm-hmm. British guy. Yeah, British guy yeah. But um, yeah, the whole thing is well. What you just said is obviously the case. It's it's being used to scare Western populations into backing uh, Middle East war. Part three, this time it's personal uh, because of these beheadings and stuff. And obviously, you know, I mean, it's a no-brainer, you know, people. Uh, but but I was thinking that maybe from a conspiracy point of view, ISIL and the U.S. are working together because both of them want to get rid of Assad, right? So they had a meeting in Washington. You know, Jihadi John and his friends came to Washington Super secret meeting. All right, mate. All right, how's it going? Gonna chop some heads off. It's a war, in it? It's a war, in it? And um, they agreed that ISIL would release these videos in order to provide the US, the Anglo-American empire, with a justification to attack ISIL, right? So we'll release these videos, right? You use it as justification to attack us because we're so evil for, for beheading Westerners. And then you come in, you say you're going to attack us, but you bomb Syria, find some way, finagle it in some way to, to bomb actual government, uh, Syrian government targets. And then we both, get what we, want. we both get what we want. That makes sense. Uh, but, except for the fact that they are, we don't know. Supposedly they are actually hitting locations where some of these jihadi johns are based. Mm. But well, there are also reports that they're hitting targets and there's n- not a single terrorist in sight. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a, a report from CNN, uh, cons- correspondent Arwa Damon, and he said that on the ground he had information, I don't know exactly what the nature of the information was, that the ISIL 
had basically been tipped off about these airstrikes and that they were nowhere to be found. And you've got them bombing um, like grain silos, oil refineries. The oil refineries is a funny one. Um, the like ISIS ISIL has been has taken over several oil refineries in East Syria and has been basically selling this oil on the black market, making you know allegedly millions, maybe billions of dollars from it. Now, allegedly, the Syrian army was set, ready to take back one of these oil refineries. And then one of the U.S. airstrikes just happens to take it out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... Yeah, the whole, no, I mean, I don't believe my theory there. Obviously, it's, it's a silly thing because that's not the way they operate. They don't actually... When they have operated that way in the past... But this, this situation is different. Uh, they've operated that way in the past in terms of the Taliban uh, in Afghanistan. <clears throat> where they actually funded them and you were our freedom fighters and it's a big new Brzezinski was there, you know, telling them that they were the they were doing God's work and, you know, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Um so they have struck a deal with people, but not in that kind of a manipulative kind of way, in a in a in a covert kind of operation way as I described. Um it's more likely that they're simply being used, they're being funded. They have been funded and trained. Um for quite a long time and now they're simply no longer useful mm-hmm. so they're being used as an excuse they may be being bombed here and there but they're not the target the target is Syria but they also served this ISIS group or ISIL group served a purpose uh, in terms of getting the Gulf monarchies on side because those that, that those the Gulf monarchies I'm sure although they, while they're Involved in funding and arming these people, I don't think they're they control them. Um, I think Omar has people, has their people, have they have their people in places, and the decision making echelon of ISIL, however it, it's it's uh, however it is, um, however it's structured, structured. So they are being used as a threat to Gulf monarchies uh, to get Gulf monarchies directly involved in taking action against Syria and keeping the Middle East or uh, Southeast Eurasia as it should be called uh, keeping the Middle East for the Americans and you know structured in, certain, in such a way that, that the Americans um, essentially maintain control of it and because you notice that last year when the U.S. wanted to bomb Syria on the trumped-up uh, charge of chemical weapons, um, the Gulf monarchies weren't up for taking any direct action uh, and that they weren't going to... But the Saudis were livid that direct action didn't result from it. The what? The Saudis were livid that... The U.S. did not act on that. Exactly, but they don't want to be involved themselves. The Saudis are are despicable characters. The Saudi monarchy and all other Gulf monarchies are just quite despicable individuals. They have no ideology that they hold to. They have no morality. They're just interested in their own positions and maintaining it. Um, so they always want, and they, they want the U.S. to fight all the to do all the fighting and bombing for them. And they never want to take direct action because they're scared of their future in the Middle East because they don't know where it's going to go down the line. They want to secure their monarchies and their their privileged positions for a long time to come. And they realize that 
it's a dicey situation messing with these countries in the Middle East because they could come under attack or threat. There's a balance of power there that they're betting on, essentially, to uh, be overtly aggressive, as in uh, taking direct or playing a direct role in bombing or attacking another uh, Gulf state or Middle Eastern country. So, because the US is meant to do that for them. Um, and Israel is meant to do that for them. So, but in this case, it seems that the US has used ISIL as a potential, as a threat to Gulf monarchies, as in, you know, these guys could easily just cross over. I mean, how hard would it be to take out Qatar or Bahrain or Kuwait or even Saudi Arabia? It wouldn't be hard. Fund a bunch of these guys thrown in there and you've got a regime change in Saudi Arabia. I mean, you gotta, you got to realize that, I mean, everybody knows, particularly in this region of the world, that the U.S. is in the regime change business. So the first question when you're kind of uh, very, uh, when you're obsessed by power is, am I next? How do I know I'm not next? Can I trust these people? No. I'm not even trustworthy, so how can they be trustworthy? So, that's what they say. So um, there's a lot of suspicion and mistrust there. So um, ISIL is, used as a, is a threat, essentially, in the background to that, that the U.S. isn't saying explicitly, but it's their implied that these guys could go anywhere, i.e. you get on board. And what, what's the external threat? What's, what's, what is the U.S. afraid of in the Middle East? The U.S. is afraid of Russia in the Middle East. It's afraid of Russia and Iran and Syria. So, which is why, and these monarchies are the kind of like the the playing card or the they're, they're the linchpin to the whole thing. If any of them turned against the U.S., the Anglo-American Empire, and sided with uh, a kind of Eurasian Union, it would be all over for the Anglo-Americans. So these people have to be kept in check and. There's a war going on, a diplomatic war essentially going on between these Gulf monarchies and the U.S. And at the same time, Russia and Iran and China uh, are, you know, are just making their moves and establishing themselves. Russia has been establishing itself in the Middle East increasingly over the past few years, striking oil deals uh, with Iran, Iraq, uh, Egypt, um, Syria, obviously, and uh, weapons, selling a lot of weapons to these countries. So the U.S. sees this as significant, serious threat to its power in the Middle East. and it So nobody can trust anybody there. It's a really dirty game going on. Yeah. And the U.S. has everything to lose, and it's desperate. And that's in those conditions, that's where you get something like ISIL uh, being used as a... a kind as of a, a, as a roaming yeah. big stick. As a stick, yeah. You know, we could we get like whack a mole. We could whack you next. Oh, yeah, maybe you, because you know the Saudis and these people are, they're they're corrupt and pretty evil, but they're not stupid. You know, and they don't care who the global boss is. Yeah, uh-huh. the global mafia boss is. They don't care if it's if they see the tide turning and ultimately down the line you're going to have a Eurasian center of power with Russia and China at the center of it. And remember, Americans like you know, six, seven thousand miles away. Russia is, this is Russia's backyard. The Middle East is Russia's backyard. So, yeah, there's a lot of paranoia, yeah. a lot of fear, 
Uh, and there's also, as has been discussed before, um, a general feeling among these psychopaths in power of something happening. And this is, you know, it's not that they recognize it uh, specifically, but with all of the stuff going on on the planet, all the other threats that are, you know, uh, coming down the line in terms of increased meteorites, increased geologic activity, you know, increasing storms, upsets of, you know, changing weather weather patterns, all of that kind of like, it's like a, it's like a devil or a dog at their heels type of thing or a devil on their back that is, you know, scaring them essentially, pushing them to, uh, you know, it, 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 it provokes in them a kind of ill-defined amorphous pressure or fear simply to got to do something here. We're, we're losing, you know, they're getting paranoid. We're losing, we're losing control here. We're losing grip. Everything's going to hell. We need to get, grab as much as we can before, you know, it all falls apart. Yeah. And so that leads to increasingly insane, essentially, uh, policies, you know, that just... Well, with each move, they lose, they lose more control, it seems. Uh, this week, two initiatives coming out of the Eurasia Pipelinistan. One is the leader of Kazakhstan trying to set up um, a kind of a free trade zone for all the countries around the Caspian. Russia, of course, Kazakhstan, Iran to the south, and then up Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan is a small player, but it is loaded with oil. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what um, Greg Palace called the Republic of British Petroleum's fiefdom in the Caspian. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they hear that kind of thing, they start to go, okay, send in some terrorists, do something, you know. Mm-hmm. Another initiative from Iran this week. Uh, you, you might have noticed over the past few years the hysteria about Iran's nuclear weapons program was turned all the way down to nearly zero. I mean, at one point it looked like an invasion or some kind of something major happening in Iran was on the cards. But now Iran is uh, our buddy, our buddy in the Middle East, ostensibly because they now have a, quote, moderate leader as opposed to the last guy who was also a fairly sane guy too, but mm. it was easy to portray as a madman. But that's not the real reason. The reason why they've calmed things down is because the shifting uh, relation, balance, of, balance of power in the Middle East means that the game, or one of the games uh, as described by Pepe Escobar is that they're trying to wedge Iranian gas and oil supply to Europe to become the dominant supply over Russia. Mm-hmm. So they want to drive a, re- a wedge between Russia and Iran big time. And it was a, just the subtlest of statements from Iran this week about that. The uh, Rouhani, their president, saying, uh, yeah, it's an interesting idea, but um, Iran, its infrastructure is not quite ready to replace Russian gas supplies to the EU. Mm-hmm. I know. That's his, that's his kind of no, I think. Um, at least that's his way of saying, well, we'll think about it. Yeah. But the, um, that obviously, the, that pipeline will come from Iran through uh, Syria. Uh, or, under the, or maybe under the Caspian? I think it involves the Caspian and Turkey. 
yeah. possibly Syria. I'm not sure. Maybe they, maybe they want to because there there is a plan. There was a plan for an Iran Syria, um, Iran Iraq Syria pipeline to the Mediterranean to Europe, and that that plays a major part in everything that's going on in the Middle East. Yeah, but they <laughs> they so. want that next big time because the end terminal in the Med where that gas comes out would be Russian. Yeah. That is the that's the word. That's that's the thing they started World War One over mm-hmm. preventing the Germans from having uh, the term the gas and oil terminal in Basra, Kuwait, that the Brits ended up getting, and then the Americans. It's the very thing wars, massive wars are started over. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that absolutely that's one of the things that they would definitely not want to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to Syria is is Assad friend a foe to who to who to the American to the neocons well for them yeah Assad is a foe because he's, he's, aligned, he's because he's aligned with uh, Iran and, and Russia. Russia okay mm-hmm. now Biden said something odd this week he said basically to the public for the first time explain exactly how it works in the Middle East with one major omission, of course. He said, where did ISIL come from? Trained and got material from our allies in the Middle East. And they named them Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and the Gulf Monarchies. He also, he also, yeah, the omission being U.S. support, but what is going on there? The, the Turks are like, what are you saying? Shut up. And they demanded a public apology, which they have since got from mm-hmm. Joe Biden. Why, why is he out of that? Why is he decided to speak the truth well, once? Well, it's not really the full truth. I mean, he's trying to to, to blame them. And it's also, um, it's, it follows on to, from what I was saying earlier on, is that, uh, you know, things are very uncertain in the Middle East, particularly with a resurgent Russia and the efforts Russia has been making over the past few years to, um, you know, to court Middle Eastern and Arab country uh, relations and business deals, etc. And um, like I said, ISIL is seen as a potential threat to these Gulf monarchies and also Turkey because, I mean, they're in Syria, it's right on Turkey's border. So nobody trusts America and its proxy armies. Um, and they have every right not to trust them. And for me, Biden's comments are just an example of that and the fact that um, there's a kind of a, a falling out. But this has happened before. None of them do trust each other, but they manage to get along. But that has always been in the context of there being no other option. Increasingly, as the days roll by, there is increasingly another option, which is this: um, these various alliances that Russia is setting up, the one you just mentioned, BRICS and stuff. The whole geopolitical map is changing in terms of the power structure, and there's a pivot, all right. But it's not the Americans pivoting. The Americans are pivoting to, uh, you know, uh, to the center, to to Eurasia, but. The only reason they're doing that is because Eurasia is pivoting, <laughs> has already pivoted in the opposite direction, you know, and they're, the Americans are essentially trying to take action uh, to stop 
that that momentum. Um, and it's you know it's 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 obvious really that uh, that this would happen ultimately. You know, all, all, the only thing that was missing was uh, Russia uh, in a position and with the intent and the will to uh, assert itself. And a natural order is developing, and this isn't uh, this isn't a result of aggression by Russia, despite what everybody's been saying or anybody else, this is a result of the natural order of Russia coming into its own and, and naturally, uh, you know, um, expressing its its desires and its tension, intentions and putting uh, putting uh, money and, uh, you know, effort behind those to, to make them a reality. And it's natural and people will eventually come to realize that, that that's the way it is because of the, ge- of the geography of the planet. That um, you know, a country like America, seven thousand miles away, it's it's unnatural that that it would control a massive landmass and most of the landmass of the, of the planet, uh, and, and prevent the countries on that landmass from actually essentially controlling themselves. You know, it doesn't work anymore. You know, um, and people are coming up, and people, there's a kind of real politic coming into it. You know. Um, that is good. I think they're going to try and well try, or it will happen as a result of what's already been set off. They're going to try and spread this ISIL wildfire as far as they can. A couple of reports this week: Pakistani Taliban pledges support to ISIS as coordinated West hatred gains momentum. Another one in Bangladesh. British, a British citizen, a British ISIS recruiter arrested in Bangladesh. I mean, they've got to have agents all over the place right now going, you know, get this stoked up. Mm-hmm. Let's get this going everywhere. Well, there's also a possibility. I don't, we'll have to see how this plays out, but I think it was just today there was a, a suicide bomber in Chechnya, uh, five dead, 10 to 12 wounded. And of course, Chechnya. Is kind, was kind of like the Syria of its day, ten to twenty years ago, with uh, Islamic groups, you know, funded and supported by, you know, jihadis coming from all over these same from these same countries that we see going into Syria, and uh, there hasn't been a, a quote terrorist attack in Chechnya f- uh, in the last year, but we have this one uh, suicide bomber that has happens right now. He, this guy was going into a theater and um, set off the metal t- detector or something, so the police took him aside to look at him, and he set off these explosives and uh, killed himself, I think four police officers, and wounded these 10 to 12 people. So we'll see if, if you know, it's looking like ISIS might make a an intrusion into Chechnya. That was always a fear. Well, that's all they've got left, really, and it's, you know, it's it's too late. It's pathetic at this stage. You know, they've they've used that tactic too often. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe the average uh, person in the street won't understand it, but certainly governments in the region uh, understand it and know what's going on. And like I said, uh, they'll be less likely to bow down and uh, accept that kind of manipulation and threat when there is another option, Mm -hmm. when there's another kind of uh, power in the region that can say, well, listen, it doesn't have to be this way anymore, you know? Um, and we can all still be rich and stuff without the 
like the manipulations, you know, and it's it's the whole empire thing, the end of empire, you know. You can't control it forever. You know, you can't control the whole world from a center of power that's thousands and thousands of miles away from where you need to be to control everything, you know, <clears throat> because there's people there and governments there that are eventually going to get tired of that. And, um, I mean, Russia's done a really good job, actually, you know. I mean, you need to look at a map of the world a, a lot because the people who are planning and, and carrying out all of these maneuvers all look at maps, obviously, you know, they're looking at the map, maps all the time. And uh, and Russia's just been, by, by even taking that, you know, they're obviously establishing connections and relationships in the Middle East. Uh, but by, by if you look at the, like that idea, of they, they wanted a, an oil, oil line, the US wanted an oil pipeline from Baku in the Caspian Sea through Azerbaijan. Uh, and then through Turkey or whatever over to to Europe, and um, uh, as you just said recently, or just a, a little while ago, that the U.S. has struck this kind of deal for I think it's essentially for fishing rights uh, in the Caspian Sea, where each country around the Caspian Sea, which is Russia, Turkmenistan, Iran, Azerbaijan, uh, would all they all agreed on where their territorial water, waters were in the Caspian. You know, so these relationships between Russia and countries that the U.S. had previously courted to try and maintain its control of the oil supply is a serious threat. You know, and Russia's just saying, hey, listen, you're our neighbor. We're gonna, let's, let's work something out here. And the U.S. is kicking and screaming from, you know, 7,000 miles away or on their aircraft carrier in the you know, <laughs> in the Mediterranean or something, you know, screaming about the whole thing, and there's nothing they can do about it, you know, because the facts on the ground argue against everything that the U.S. wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, like I said, coming down to the Middle East, you know, preventing them from having regime change in Syria, keeping Syria, keeping Assad in power, because he's, he's aligned with Russia, you know, courting Iraq, selling, they just uh, restarted a deal for a 4.2 billion dollar arms deal with Iraq uh, they have a three billion arms deal with Egypt is the Russians um, you know so th- that's how you that's diplomatic essentially I mean you make money from it as well but that's all diplomatic that's establishing because when you once you sell a bunch of weapons and stuff there's an ongoing relationship required to maintain them and to get spare parts and all this kind of stuff you know it's essentially like being a trading partner even if it's weapons. And uh, that forces the country that in the Middle East, for example, that buys those weapons to have a, you know, they've got an investment now in Russia, essentially. And bit by bit, you just turn them, turn them all around. And the massive advantage that Russia has is that, is that as I said, all these countries are in Russia's backyard. They're all right there. You yeah. know, and Russia can Russia's using the business cooperation angle and has done that mostly, but at the same time, you know, not that it would ever use it, but at the same time, everybody's aware that Russia is an increasingly powerful military power. And Russia never flaunts that or never uses it really as manipulation, but it's there in the background and everybody knows about it. But what Russia wants to do is do business. It wants to do business with its neighbors. America wants to stop business. America... As a capitalist country, you know, free, free, the free market and all that kind of stuff, it's doing everything to stop uh, free market economics. 
as far as Russia is concerned, in the, in the most natural way, which is with the countries closest to you. Oh, yeah, well, free market economics was only ever skin deep. Yeah. I mean, the entire U.S. economy is built around the Pentagon, military-industrial complex, and so on. Their response to Russia, the only thing they, the only thing they know how, I mean, what else can they do but send aircraft carriers uh, into the regions? This week, I think they've announced they're going to start sending tanks to the Baltic states. Mm. You know, the, the, the obvious implication to those countries being you're about to be invaded, mm. rolled over yeah. by Russian tanks. That's nonsense. You know, they'll rust, <laughs> they'll rust and they'll rot and, and, and that'll be the end of it. It's all bullshit. It's, it's, they're trying to do, it's so pathetic for European countries, you know, particularly Eastern European countries like Poland and, um, Mainly Poland, actually. <laughs> Sorry to rag in the polls, but you know, um, they uh, obviously the Ukrainians. But uh, it's so pathetic that these countries are the leaders of these countries, even who are meant to know better, uh, are falling for that kind of fear mongering. You know, <clears throat> they're essentially manipulating Eastern European countries with uh, a version of the Muslim terrorist threat, except it's a Russian terrorist threat. It's a Soviet commie terrorist threat, and they're falling for it. It's ridiculous, you know? I mean... Uh, yeah. Not, not one single journalist in the West, in any corporate press anyway, not once since March this year has questioned the naming of this civil war, essentially, in Ukraine as an anti-terrorist operation. Terrorists, from yeah. the get-go, they said the whole sway of the people are terrorists mm -hmm. and fell into line with that. Mm -hmm. But that's frightening. I mean, over over a decade of you know nine eleven Muslims and all the propaganda, mm. you can sort of it see falls. how they would fall for Muslim terrorists. Yeah. But from the get go, bang! Yeah, no, half of Ukraine are all terrorists because they have affinity with Russians, mm -hmm. who are the ultimate terrorists. Anything <clears throat> mm -hmm. that challenges the power of the state, you know, that's why people in positions of power in European countries and stuff would would go with that because they always see. Anything that challenges their positions of power, um, any people, regardless of whether Muslim, what religion they are, ultimately are terrorists who try to change the established order, even if that's just breaking away or demanding independence. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Spanish government starts calling uh, Catalonians, Catalonians terrorists. terrorists, you know, because, you know, I mean, if you want to break away and be independent and the state uses strong-arm tactics, sends in the police and starts beating heads and stuff. And out of that, you have ordinary people who got their heads beaten or got their family members killed, then meet force with force. They're terrorists. But that's nonsense. It's ridiculous. You know, it's pure bullshit propaganda. It's, it's completely uh, illogical, essentially. It's, there's no relationship to reality. And that's been true... Um, across the planet for hundreds of years. Except that the US in recent years has attempted to actually create a reality of those uh, around that idea, that yeah. false idea that ordinary people fighting for uh, justified, fighting uh, over justified grievances and for their rights, and etc. They've tried to create uh, the, the reality, a reality of those people being terrorists. 
and they've done it the only way they could do it, which is by controlling and operating those individuals themselves and making them act like Essentially terrorists, i.e. nihilistic. Yeah. I just want to kill people because I hate them. But that never existed. They had to create except fake amongst causes. Them. Complete fake causes, fake ideology, fake, you know, complete with a banner, yeah. logo, PR department, breed of cats. Yeah, but their ideology comes down to, uh, they can't even come up with the proper ideology because then they would have to allow for something that made sense. These people are fighting for independence, for uh, rights, etc. Uh, they can't, so they, what they ascribe to these fake groups that they create, they ascribe uh, just nihilistic ideologies, which is we're going to kill people because we hate them. That person, the very basic thing, he's not the same religion as me, therefore I'm going to kill him. But uh, the history of, modern history of, of the planet shows that um, generally people don't have a problem with other people being religious uh, or of a different religion. Um or non-religious, you know. Um, it's only a few psychopath elements among society, and particularly in positions of power, uh, that have a problem with that, but they nearly always use it to, um, not because they genuinely don't like another religion, but they're using it to uh, accrue power to themselves or put themselves in a position of, of power where they can control other people. Uh-huh. So ordinary human beings left to their own devices would have no problem with any aspect of the expression of normal humanity. Why would it ever have anybody ever have a problem with the normal expression of normal humanity in any form? They don't. They wouldn't. They never have, and they never will. It's only psychopaths in power who well use those differences to gain power for themselves. Uh huh. But there's a sizable chunk in any given population that actually goes in with the swastikas and the torture devices and gleefully carries out the brutality on the ground. I mean, they're not ever going to be in power anywhere. No, but no, but they're just tools and they've been used and by and large, if they're not psychopaths themselves, which most of them probably aren't, they have been, uh, the, the thing that makes them act in that way, the thing that makes any otherwise normal human being uh, act in that way where they go and attack and kill other people is because they've been uh, programmed with a fear-based ideology by someone above them, by a psychopath in a position of power who uses those people and whips them up into a frenzy and makes them afraid. I mean, it's fear. Fear is the only thing. Fear of the other generating or engendering the fear of the other in a person is what will make them attack another person. But left to their own devices, no one would ever, no normal person would ever come to that conclusion that they should be deathly afraid of another normal human being simply because he's doing something different from me. The natural human inclination is to be interested in something that's different. Uh-huh. Because and, and human differences are not threatening in and of themselves. But the, people can be whipped up into a state of fear by all sorts of lies and manipulations. And that's what psychopaths and power do. It's fairly simple. And the problem is psychopaths in positions of power. And the fact that psychopathy exists as a, a variation or a, an aberrant or deviant variation of human nature, of human psychology. It's effectively not human because, you know, it's like a, you know, a, a, a distortion or, or a, a genetic uh, abnormality uh, that, as hard as it might seem, should be removed from the gene pool because it's destructive to the entire population to the entire species it's destructive so you remove it you know when people uh, 
people with cancer. They get tumors cut out because if they don't, it'll spread and infect and kill the body. People don't have a problem with removing cancer. Psychopaths are essentially the same as cancer on humanity. And uh, applying medical practices, they should be removed mm-hmm. for the good of the vast majority of human beings. Obviously, it's not practical or practicable to do that. No. We have to live with it and learn from it and whatever the actual goal of it is. because nobody's going Not to least because so many of them don't ever get to those high positions. No. They serve some useful function at some point along the line, but they're far too successful in the sense that they, not only do they never actually produce some of this horrific violence themselves or instigate it, they can live such apparently normal lives and never be involved directly in uh, the torture or murder of other people. No, but there's also there's other types of all sorts of other ways in which they're destructive. Yeah, I mean, yeah, interpersonally and, and or small as a lecturer or whatever, yeah. as a writer. Yeah, and they spread an ideology as well. You know, they if they even just become, um, you know, not even captains of industry, but you know. You know they, um, they 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 hit on a good idea that is essentially, um, you know, anti-human or, or you know, uh, conscienceless. Essentially, you know, when they spread that that meme type of thing. You know, I can't think of any ideas right now, but people who just, you know, promote um, conscienceless kind of uh, practices and uh, among in society. You know. Um, how they look at other people, just their view of other people. And that's the other thing, because it's one thing to say that they're an aberration that should, shouldn't exist in human society, but clearly the ideology that they espouse does take hold in normal people. So there is an anchor in normal human being for the psychopathic view of reality. So we can't uh, wash our hands of it completely, because there does seem to be some element um, you know, within normal humanity uh, that that can resonate with uh, a psychopathic uh, view, which is essentially a conscienceless, extremely, you know, supremely selfish mm-hmm. uh, view. Of course, it it must have been attractive enough to people to have been with us this long and to have been unseen this long. That is the only way it can have infected so many people, to some degree or another, because we quite like having it around. But at the same time, it's it's not like it's a an incurable disease. You were mentioning about how humans are by nature curious, and you'll often see this in like college students that finally decide to travel and go around the world, and they realize, oh hey, wow, you know, there's a whole world out there. It's it's amazing, and look at these people. And you might go to a country that you might have preconceptions about and think it's going to be a certain way, but then lo and behold, look, you find people that you get along with, and hey, they're you know, they're just like everyone else, you know, they just live in a different culture. And so there is this psychopathic ideology that says, and that kind of ingrains in people that these people are other and they're fearfully other. They're, you know, they're either terrorists or they're just weird or they're just, you know, the kind of people that you'd want to turn their country into a glass parking lot. Then you actually go there and you meet them and it's kind of just diffuses the whole thing. And so really the solution is knowledge. It's like when you expand your your horizons and you actually learn something about what's actually going on, that knowledge kind of like it, it cleanses you of this nasty ideology. And so 
yeah, these psychopaths, this, this cancer has been with us for so long, but you know, now the, the information is available for people to look at and it's just a matter of presenting it. And because without that, it's just going to continue the way it's been going for thousands of years. Your description it's, it's, of I just wanted to add add that uh, to that that what's engendered in people that fear of the other as the the, the monstrous kind of a barbaric um, you know beheader and remorseless conscienceless uh, killer. I mean that's what that's how many people in the West see Muslims and Muslim mm-hmm. terrorists. That's actually a, a really a bit of a stupendous maneuver because it's the psychopaths in power who have engendered that in people by presenting that <clears throat> image to them. And in that way, they have defrayed or distracted the attention uh, that should be on themselves mm-hmm. because those ideals that they project onto other people <laughs> and tell other people that the other that is monstrous, that's who they are. Exactly. So the na- people should naturally be terrified of Muslim terrorists. They should be naturally terrified of psychopaths in power because that's their nature. When you look at a Muslim terrorist, the head chopper, the killer, all that kind of stuff, that's your that's your that's your senator, that's your president, and that's your captain of industry. Yeah, that's what's inside him. That's your John McCain and your Bernard Henri Levy. Yeah. That's why they go to these places. Yep. It's it's almost like a kind of a a gathering. <laughs> it's a gathering. It's like a, an attaboy. Yeah, because there's an understanding when McCain meets these people, they have an understanding, and he will tell you as much. Mm-hmm. Your description there of how Russia, one by one, turns countries on the Eurasian landmass just by the natural order of things, business deals, military deals, and so on. I've been thinking about the situation in Europe, and I was hopeful for a while, and now forget it. Western Europe is, the cancer is too far gone. I do not see France, Germany, Italy, never mind the UK, uh, being turned even against their own wishes, you know, reluctantly diffusing the situation for their own good, if nothing else. Uh, the Germans are talking about sending troops to eastern Ukraine. The French are obviously, the French elites are obviously completely untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I think they will go down with the rest of the ship. Yeah. The USS Empire. <laughs> yes, yes. Titanic. Uh, they, um, Biden, talking about uh, Vice President Biden, he said uh, just this week that um, that he had to embarrass <laughs> uh, European Union countries into taking action against Russia, into imposing these sanctions. He didn't say how he embarrassed them, or maybe embarrass is euphemism for him for threatened or I don't know what, but he, he, he said that he the U.S. had to embarrass them into doing it, which suggests reluctance on their part, which is a natural re- reluctance. Because Russia's, you know, again, right in their in their backyard, and is, was a a very important um, trading partner, etc. And somehow Biden was able to embarrass European uh, politicians enough to get them to, you know, shoot themselves in the foot, uh, to cut off their nose to spite their face, basically by imposing these uh, sanctions on Russia. So I don't know exactly. Uh, what maybe does he mean that he pulled out? He got the CIA to pull out some like some uh, photographs, some compromising <laughs> pictures of Angela Merkel or something. Um, not that I want to see those uh, because you know that would embarrass me. But um, 
maybe they've done it before. Uh, maybe they took a lesson from the Israelis who are well, who are known for using that kind of a tactic to they have influence people. Angela Merkel's personal phone records. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe he was being very candid there. In fact, that he literally they literally did uh, embarrass slash threaten him with exposure of some kind of uh, hmm. inflagrante <laughs> um, activities. But that's going to work against them ultimately as well, because that doesn't—that's not a very friendly thing to do. Mm-hmm. And at the first opportunity, you'd think that people who have been treated that way would take the opportunity to, uh, you know, give back. Give, give, give that, Washington you know? the, the middle finger. Well, yeah. it remains to be seen. I—I I don't have much hope. No, I don't have much hope either. But um, the, you know what? It's. Russia is going to carry on with what it's doing and ultimately with this whole ISIS, ISIL business in the Middle East, it's all going to go nowhere. Uh, Assad is going to stay in power. Uh, Iraq is going to eventually go its own way as well. Iran is not going anywhere. Um, Saudi Arabia and the, those Gulf monarchies, I think, will all give it a while and they will all uh, see the facts on the ground and the US will be left with America and you know some Western European countries and if you look at this you know you can include BRICS here you're talking about you know Brazil Russia India China and South Africa China is all over Africa so I mean really uh, if you look at the the line of force here, the movement of, of the way things are going, the U.S. is on its own, ultimately. And any Western European countries foolish enough to not see the writing on the wall can go down with it. But the vast majority of the landmass of this planet uh, is, is Eurasia. And it's aligned with many other or is, is in the process of becoming more aligned with many other major landmasses, South America, for example, uh, and and ultimately Africa. So, and India, you know, what, fifth of the world's population or a sixth of the world's population? I mean, uh, it's all... 80% just, of the world's population are in Eurasia. 80%, yeah, exactly. And the resources. Yeah. So it's not looking good, you know. And it's a last gasp, desperate efforts that we're seeing here. I mean, really, when they go to the to the to the extent of funding this ISIL proxy army and have them chop off heads and have some is uh, really spy release the video and even admit to it on the internet. I mean, there's not much lower. There's, you can't go much lower, you know. There's not you, much more you can pull out of the bag. You kind of can because you're desperate. While you're doing that, hyping up. By creating some facts on the ground. So, yeah, you've got some heads rolling and some atrocities being committed by your terrorists in the Middle East to give it some legs, you know, to give it some reality. It's happening to thousands of people in another country that's getting zero media attention in the Ukraine. I mean, they're uncovering mass graves at this point yeah. where people have been uh, tortured, hands they, tied behind the back and shot dead. Yeah, preg- a pregnant woman. Another woman with her head cut off. Oh, um, yeah. The, the last week has seen you know some more shellings in in Donetsk. They shelled the 
the Red Cross headquarters in Donetsk. They killed the deputy head of the mission there. Shades, shades of Israel. Yeah, exactly. And bombed, they bombed a school on the first day of school, an elementary school. Mm. Um, thankfully, no children were killed, but they killed, uh, I think, um, two, two adults were killed in the, at the same time they bombed um, a residential street nearby and killed, I think, 11 people. And yet, the Western media, the only thing, the only thing that they'll say about this is that, oh, look, uh, Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister, he said that, that they found 400 bodies in these mass graves. Well, it turns out Lavrov was wrong. The, the source for this, they, they, there were 400 ident- unidentified dead bodies in the morgue. And it looks like Lavrov had made the connection that those were from the mass graves. It turns out they weren't from the mass graves. But there's no acknowledgement that these mass graves are there, that these people were tortured and murdered by the very people that the U.S. government put in power and is supporting. Mm-hmm. No, they just say, oh, look, the Russians are up to their propaganda games again. Yeah. <laughs> the BBC did something similar. There was a photo from MH17 mm-hmm. crash site showing a row of bodies or something. Mm-hmm. And that had been used in an article about the mass graves. And I said, ah, you see, the Russians are crafting propaganda. Yeah. Therefore, it's not true. As if these bodies don't exist, you can see the pictures of them. It's not like they're making this up. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. The West, Western media, they're just, they really are, you know, the BBC, the Anglo-American Empire in particular, they are the evil empire. They are pure, unadulterated evil, you know. I mean, not that other people, other countries around the world weren't evil, but these ones are leading the field, have been for quite a long time, in pure evil. And their media, such yellow, pusillanimous journalism, I mean, I have nothing but contempt for every employee of the BBC. Because any of them that are left in there, you know, have sold their souls. And they're liars, manipulators, and effectively facilitators of crimes against humanity what they call themselves journalists. No, you know, you're a despicable excuse for a human being. You know, I mean, how do they even call themselves journalists? It's ridiculous, you know? I mean, it's like ideology, but some bullshit Western Anglo-American ideology over dead children. You know, <laughs> they don't even see. I'm swearing here. They don't even see the ideology. This is This is the thing. They're born into such a... It's like being born into a vat of lies. You swim in it, you breathe it, you live it, you eat it. Well, you I'm don't sorry. know anything else. Well, I'm, I'm not sorry. apologizing if Dave, for them, If but... dead children don't shake you out of it or don't make you question uh, what you're saying, essentially, and read back to yourself what you wrote and what you wrote is essentially justifying the murder of those children, well, I'm sorry, you're not human. You know, yeah. you're a despicable piece of scum and you don't deserve to... It extends, it extends beyond the media. Amnesty International, right? You know, that bastion of human rights, human rights. Just They just bleat about human rights. But it is amazing how they have not said a single word. A top lawyer in Kiev, uh, I think he was the guy who was dumped in a dumpster after getting a beating. Yeah. No one said jack about that. And he wasn't like, you know, a partisan Russian supporter or anything. Or that other story, the horrific one about the police chief in yeah, Donetsk. Yeah, looking into that. I mean, here's, they got a video mm-hmm. of it, ISIS style, mm-hmm. but it was for real. And they showed, yeah. they showed the guy being beheaded yeah. while his wife is tortured next to him. Well, they show, not actually being beheaded, but they show, they show him being 
his his neck being slit and him bleeding out. While now I haven't been able to totally verify who these people are. Um, now allegedly this is the Donetsk police chief um, in April um, being killed in like a, a hotel, a bedroom of some sort. He's on the floor. There are three or four guys in military fatigues holding him next to the side of the bed. There's one guy holding a woman, presumably this guy's wife, on the bed, her face down, on top of her, holding her down while they cut his throat. This guy, he's, he's got like saran wrap or some kind of plastic around his mouth. And they, you know, hold his be- his neck back, slit his throat, and they videotape the whole thing. Yeah. And these are, these are right sector thugs. Yeah, these are, right these are the ones that the U.S., these are the people that the U.S. directly finance through their NGOs. These are the, the, the people that um, Victoria Newland, the, the deputy uh, secretary of the uh, U.S. State Department, was uh, cheerleading. <laughs> and uh, it's, there you go. I mean, I said there it's, it's the evil empire, they're a despicable bunch of psychopaths, and that's evidence for you because, you know, just because they're not directly involved in it themselves, it actually makes it worse, you know, to a certain extent, um, that they're supporting and funding and facilitating that kind of behavior. And then, and then crowing about freedom and democracy. The good news is that freedom and democracy is spreading to China. Yes, Hong Kong. Yep. Yay. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> this is the pivot to China Obama was talking about. This is the form it comes in. None of this, oh, diplomacy and trade deals, because they know they can't compete with Russia. They know they can't come close to it. So this is how they answer it. These protests have actually been going on more or less nonstop since Hong Kong was handed back partially to China from the UK, Britain, in 1997. So it had not just come out of the blue. The only thing that's different in the last two weeks since it flared up this time is the attention they give it. They have CNN crews on standby, obviously aware that these protests were about to happen, um, reporting it like, oh, here comes the riot place. Oh, the tear gas, the violence. Look at that. Look at that brutal, evil, tyrannical Chinese state. Who would dare treat their own citizens like that? And I was just thinking, a month ago, a month ago, we had Ferguson, Missouri riots. I mean, and CNN reported that like looters. Looters everywhere. Terrible, terrible stuff. Terrible and how stuff. many thousands arrested to occupy in New York, right? New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Miami, everywhere. 48 cities across the U.S. Mm. And now it happens a little bit in Hong Kong, and it's like, oh, my God. But this is, this is wonderful. This is freedom and democracy finally coming to the Chinese people. Yeah. What are they going to do? It's a, again, it's the last... Uh, gasp effort to to do something and that's all they know how to do. All they know how to do is fund NGOs, send in kind of, you know, uh, send a lot of money and, you know, uh, brochures and, you know, organize it at a, at a people power level and get them all out in the streets and hope to provoke some kind of a crackdown from the authorities and then complain about it in the Western media. Well, you know what? Complain all they like, you know? Tell them, the BBC can tell me 
I'm going to the BBC website, and all I see is Hong Kong protests enter, you know, sixth day, seventh day, eighth day, ninth day, and same, the same thing every single day for the past week, you know, on their, their main story. And I'm like, you know, go away, give it up, you know, don't you have something else to write about? I mean, I don't care, and nobody else cares, and there's nothing they can do about it. All they can do is fund some kind of phony people power, um, manipulative demonstrations, which has the goal of infiltrating and, you know, uh, in somehow, some way um, subverting China and the, and the Chinese uh, authorities. And it's not going to happen because, I mean, really, I mean, the fact that they're even trying to do this in China is laughable because the Chinese um, don't really respond well to that kind of thing. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't care. I mean, the whole thing about China is that it's been closed off, you know, for, for centuries type of thing. And it's only in, in recent decades that it's even kind of come back out into the, into the, you know, joined the rest of the world. And only then, and even then only in the form of, you know, making all of our, our plastic crap, uh, <laughs> etc. cetera. Uh, but, it's ridiculous that they're even trying to do this, you know, because the Chinese just probably don't care. Uh, I mean, they're certainly doing something to to, to try and stop it happening, but um, it's not gonna it's not going to it's not going to succeed in any way. And there you go, good job, America. You know, you've, it's the kind of boy, not even the boy who cried wolf. It's like it's not the crying wolf. They're just trying this stupid, ridiculous regime change operations. Uh, over and over again and the problem is you get away with doing that at the beginning when people don't expect it hey that was pretty smart that was a that was a sneaky maneuver there you really caught me out in that one uh, you know after 70 years of it people start to kind of get to know what you're up to and, and the kind of things you do like um, like Putin said you know comrade wolf uh, knows who to knows who to eat and he, and he what did he say and he does it um without consulting anybody. Can't remember. Something along those lines. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, and Putin, Putin, Russia and China are obviously of closer and closer ties and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Russia is advising <clears throat> uh, the Chinese if they need it on, on what to do here, you know, because the, some, of, some of the ties, the people organizing this in Hong Kong they're the Hong Kong elites that were left behind by the Brits. Mm-hmm. The Brits, basically. They don't give a damn about human rights or universal suffrage or whatever it is that they're hanging this cause on. I mean, the same political power, political party has been in power since 1991. That's Martin Lee's United Democrats Party. He's one of the two, let's say, heads of this protest movement, Martin Lee, and the other one is a woman called Anson Chan, right? She is married to an oil baron. She has an honorary title of the British Empire called, here's the full title. I've got to clear my throat for this. Honorary Honorary Dame Grand Cross of the Order of St. Michael and St. George. I kid you not. She was known in the 1990s as the Iron Lady Deputy. To then British Governor Chris Patton. Hmm. 
she's kind of Chinese Korakovsky, you know. She speaks with a perfect British accent. Oh, they all do. Yeah. Uh, the protesters are waving the Union Jack in the streets, <laughs> for Christ's sake. Uh, one of her backers in Hong Kong is the Hong Kong Democratic Foundation think tank, in quotes, whose chairman is George Cotherley. Cotherley. He's a Brit, OBE. He's chairman of at least seven massive European big pharma companies. And that's just some of the links. I was just running them all people. up. You know, people don't understand. These are oligarchs. This right. is the same argument uh, used in Venezuela when Chavez was still alive about, uh, you know, lack of freedom of the press and lack of, uh, you know, proper political processes in terms of allowing any party and banning political parties. Well, you know what? The analogy is that, you know, you're in a house and it's full of sheep and there's a wolf or a bunch of wolves at the door and they want to come in and you have the door locked and they're saying, that's not fair. You've locked the door. Why don't you let us in? Freedom and democracy. We, you know, wolves should be allowed to, 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 to cohabit with the sheep. What's wrong? We're not really wolves. We're, not, we're, we're just sheepy wolves. Wolfy sheeps, you know, we're just the same as you. Let us in. Come on, what's wrong? Oh, you're so you're so anti-democratic. You know, what's wrong with you? Oh, you're, you've no respect for human rights. You know, because once they get in, they're going to devour everything. Yeah. And the smart person knows no effing way. And if I have to be labeled anti-democratic to make sure that you don't get in here, then so be it. If I was the Chinese authorities or the authorities in Hong Kong, I'd just round them all up. All the supporters, all the protesters, and all of their their backers. And deport them to the U.S.? I, I deport them to the U.S. or deport them, well, it's a bit far, Taiwan. I put them in nice boats, Hong Kong's right on the sea, ship them over to Taiwan. Say, so there you go. You stay in Taiwan. Well, there's a, and they're not allowed back in. Yeah. There you go. I mean, humanitarian. Didn't hurt anybody. Just, you're not allowed here. I mean, go away. If you want to be part of the U.K., go to Taiwan and get a flight to London. Yeah. I mean, they'll take it. And don't be deceived by the crowd sizes you're seeing here. The vast majority of people in Hong Kong are not on their sides. Yeah. Hong Kong has a massive, compared with the rest of China, an even worse disparity between rich and poor. But that's because of the entrenched oligarchical and Western interests yeah, invested in there that are organizing these damn protests. They're the problem. They're not the answer to Hong Kong's problem. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's been big protests and stuff, but uh, Hong Kong is one of the uh, densest, densely populated, most densely populated places on the planet. It's up there. Um, no, maybe it's not. Maybe not, but it has a lot of people. Um, there's like seven and a half million people just in Hong Kong, which is a very small place, so it is fairly heavy. They uh, are fairly densely populated, but... Um, so when you see, you know, 10,000 or 20,000 people out of seven and a half million. Well, there was in July, uh, there was an unofficial referendum. Now, this was done using a cell phone app. And it was a question about the the reform to the electoral process. Because th- these protesters, one of the things they're protesting for is uni- universal suffrage. So the ability to basically have one person, one vote to directly elect they're the chief executive of Hong Kong. So they had this uh, unofficial referendum, and according to the results they received, they received votes, ballots on these apps from about one-fifth of the electoral population, so the, the, the people with, that actually have the right to vote. And 
The thing is, first of all, even they admit that this wasn't a very accurate thing because there could have been duplicate votes. I mean, it's just a, a phone app, so you can the, the results aren't that accurate. But if you just look at those numbers, one-fifth of, vo- of the voting population, even if all everyone, every one of these um, app voters was in support of these of this agenda, it's still not a full referendum. It doesn't give an idea of the true demographics of what's going on there. So we've got these protests going on, which like you said, Neil, you know, 10, 20,000, who knows how many, they're not necessarily representative of the whole population. No. We've also got anti, anti-Occupy Central protests going on at the same time. So are we really seeing, uh, you know, democracy at work here? No, we're not. Chan and Lee and the student leader, yeah, Benny, uh, what's his name? Uh, the three of them, in uh, July also, actually, I wonder if it's, it must have been coordinated. They went to the UK first to meet Nick Clegg, Deputy Prime Minister. And then they went for an attaboy yeah. with Biden in Washington. The State Department. I mean, that's so, it's so ridiculous, you know. I mean, the arrogance of these people to think they can just, you know, I mean, of course, <clears throat> we live in an empire, you know, uh, an Anglo-American empire. And so it's not surprising that this happens, but the arrogance is still staggering, you know. Uh, when they talk about freedom and democracy and stuff, but they they deem themselves <clears throat> um, or believe they have the authority to to go like no anywhere in the world and decide that we're going this this government isn't correct. We should change this government, and they do it in a manipulative, sneaky way. The fact that it's that they have ulterior motives and it's not it has nothing to do with freedom or democracy is that they do it in a secretive, sneaky way. Yeah. You know, they don't simply. Uh, take polls or allow for local people to express their wishes. Everything you see in these kind of uh, revolutions is all, generally speaking, uh, manipulated, and it's and it's promoted by the. Like we were talking earlier, it's t- promoted by the, the the Western media, and the, in that sense, is, or in that way, it's given re- given a reality simply because it's report reported. You know, they don't report on something like in Ukraine. It doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. If they report on something, suddenly that's the consensus reality. It's a completely manufactured consensus reality. It bears no resemblance to what's actually going on on the ground. And that's why, you know, this is ultimately a war for people's minds, you know. Yeah, the Chinese media have really nailed it in July, describing Chan and Lee's visit to the U.S. They went to see Pelosi in the Senate, and then they went to see State Department officials, and they... The Chinese said it was inviting foreign intervention and reflected their fetish for Western authority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> well, just a few more of the leaders that are involved in this movement. Um, there's, they've all got ties with U.S. Western NGOs like the National Endowment for Democracy and the National Democratic Institute. Um, and if we look at some of these guys, like there's this guy, Jimmy Lai Chi Ying, now, he's the owner of Apple Daily News. And speaking of Taiwan, Joe, he was actually chased out of Taiwan, apparently, mm-hmm. for trying to meddle in, in Taiwan Taiwanese first. politics. Yeah. And, uh, and this guy, he actually had a meeting in June with Paul Wolfowitz. Now, Paul Wolfowitz, arch, you know, one of the, the arch neocons. neocons. The neocons are all over involved in these mm-hmm. NGOs like the National Democratic Institute. And so <laughs> we're seeing... Neocons, you know, the, the people's policy and, you know, increasingly Obama's policy 
these are the guys, you know, pushing for democracy mm. in Hong Kong. And so it's, and then you've got this, uh, this 17 year old kid, um, what's his name? Joshua, Joshua Young or something like that. Um, you can see pictures of him online. He looks like he's like 12 years old. Mm. He's yeah. received funding from the state department of mm. the U S all these guys make regular trips to the state department mm-hmm. and have conversations with these people. I mean, it's, it's not, this part of it isn't even sneaky. It's totally out in the open. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and all these Chinese protesters, even this young kid, like they're just useful idiots. They might have these, they might really think they're, they're fighting for a just cause. Yeah. We want to be able to vote and elect, you know, the leader that we want. Well, that's not what you're going to get. I mean, democracy is a joke. Democracy doesn't exist anywhere on this planet. They're, they are looking for help from the United States. I mean, what a bastion of democracy. The most anti-democratic <laughs> country that ever existed in modern, or even in ancient history. So what do they think going they're going to Rome. Get? I mean... Well, they, they're not aware of any no. of that. So they're, they're just, they're, they're, like the, they're like the average Ukrainian or the average Pole. You know, they're still kind of like, they've got stars in their eyes about America and freedom and democracy. They bought the bullshit, you know, they drank the Kool-Aid. And uh, and uh, they're, they're zombies. Yeah, and to be just, avoided like the plague. Yeah, they're not. They're not equipped or, to uh, or deported. Yeah, they should. They're not. They're the wrong people to be leading anything because they they, you know, they're mentally deficient in that sense. You know, um, today is election day in Brazil. Yeah. Do you see any results coming in there, Joe? No, you just uh, might be too early. Get on the uh, the hotline here. It looks last last I read was uh, Rousseff is favourite, uh, uh, Ru- barely. Yeah. But then they might go to a runoff mm-hmm. um, or a second poll because there's two. There's that's uh, Marina Silva, and then the other guy who between them might get enough votes that it's um, that she doesn't get an outright right majority. Right majority, yeah, which is probably the, the case, you know. Um, yeah, a few things about this, uh, Marina Silva. Juliana, sought editor Juliana Barnwem wrote an article recently where she mentions these elections. A uh, very, very dubious incident happened in the run-up. Like a month or two ago, one of the candidates died in a plane crash. Now, mm-hmm. taking his, he was the Socialist Party candidate and his running mate was to be Marina, Marina Silva, who was leader of the Green Party, and she then took his place as the number two candidate. Mm-hmm. And this woman has got like <clears throat> Western Washington fetish written all over. She's basically funded by George Soros, indirectly anyway. Um, totally pro-Israel. Um, I found an article about the 2010 elections, the last elections in Brazil, uh, in which... The history of the Green Party there is just riddled with CIA. Basically, there's definitely some kind of manipulation going on there from the U.S. No surprise, they've been doing it in South America since forever. Um, The U.S. has 10 consulates in the country. 10. The third highest in the world after Canada and Mexico. Ten Trojan horses. They are all over the place. There. The U.S. consulates are Trojan horses. People should remove them from their country completely. Should not ever have any kind of U.S. embassy 
or consulate of any description, you should have no foothold because they're extremely yeah. suspect. They are not to be trusted ever. To, the latest thing on um, on Rusev uh, is that she is um, <clears throat> polls. Our favorite favorite things. Uh, polls show that pre- that she is within touching distance of an outright victory. But it's um, she was in 2010 as well, mm. and that there was something going on there to force a runoff, which she won anyway. But this is the thing about democracy. Democracy, in the way it functions, is dangerous in the sense that it's an opening. You're running a serious risk if you try to have elections. If you certainly, if you model them on U.S. style elections or European, for that matter. Because every four years, chances are you're going to be subverted back in the other direction that you're trying to get away from. For 12 years now, Brazil has finally started a move towards basically taking control of its own mm-hmm. country. Uh, but you see, if you have elections every four years, it's no open invitation. That's why you have to, have to do what Venezuela does. Once you get someone in power who has mass popular appeal and it's backed up by uh, referenda ho- and other plebiscites. On a hard evidence that the person is actually, the, the leader is is actually doing what he says he's going to do, that he actually cares about the ordinary people. And if he, you know, not only says the right things, but does the right thing like, like Chavez did. Once you get that, you keep that person in power. The people should just rally and that person should stay in power for as long as they are compass mentis. That's the only way to secure uh, sovereignty, real sovereignty, and the will of the people uh, in this world. Oh, essentially, di- but, essentially dictators, and they should clamp yeah. down on on media and press, foreign media especially, and any media that is aggressively anti-government and aggressively aggressively anti uh, the the mandate of the of the of the dictator. Well, who Rousseff is. Is not mandate mandate by the people. The current Brazilian president Rousseff is pretty much universally maligned in international press. Yeah, of course, because she's a member of BRICS, and in her own country, she can't get any favor coverage. Mm-hmm. That's why she should ban a bunch <laughs> in her own country. She should I ban mean, a bunch of them. Yeah, it's all privately owned. She's being battered left, right, and center. Uh, despite the fact, like I've said, Brazil has really improved but all you're going to hear in this is oh high inflation and oh still a lot of poor people well yeah that's because it started from scratch you know but it is better there than it was 12 years ago uh it, it's it's insane but thankfully i think brazilians are gonna keep her we'll see mm-hmm. it's early days yeah so generally speaking the the outlook on the uh the state of the world this week is uh, not good. Uh, it's the same as last week. <laughs> um, the planet is, uh, f- from a climate and geological perspective, is continues in upheaval. And uh, despite that, all of that essentially is played down and ignored, except the major incidents, and then they're only publicized for a short period of time. And what grabs the headlines is this insane 
maneuvering and warmongering and killing and murdering of psychopaths in position of power. That's what they're doing to distract people from the really important and interesting uh, things that are happening on this planet, which is the planet is in chaos. Um, Neil, tell us a bit about it. Well, um, something like 57 volcanoes are currently erupting. Is, is that an increase? Yes. I'm not sure about what you would typically find, but we know that four new volcanoes erupted in the last week. Not least this massive eruption in Japan. The Japanese eruption, by the way, Antake, that's the second highest, second biggest volcano in Japan. Fuji is next. And Antake was not, it was dormant until 1979 and hadn't erupted since then. Just to say Which is block. why it kills so many people who are climbing the planet because the the, the volcano, because uh, yeah, it's not supposed to erupt and it did spectacularly. Um, major major flooding. The flooding is just unbelievable. I mean, we're talking about France. Over a foot of rain hit Montpellier. Over, a, I mean, it's twelve point something inches in a couple hours. In two hours, how does that? I don't even know what that looks like. Well, it's just, it may as well just, it may as well I, just, I saw what the results looked like, but when well, it falls that fast, it falls from the sky, it may as well have just been dropped all at once. Yeah. Because it just runs off the top of the ground and it's a foot of water suddenly streaming down your streets. And if you're in a hilly area, your car's going with it and probably your house. Um, and, uh, but also uh, there's been a lot of flooding, just the sporadic flooding across the U.S., in various places, you know. Uh, partially sporadic, partially following a pattern. It's been a really strong hurricane season in the Pacific. Um, Baja, California was battered by at least one of them. Uh, hurricane Odeal, it, it actually made landfall. It was the strongest ever Pacific side hurricane to make landfall, Category 4. Smashed a popular U.S. tourist resort with... The, <laughs> We, who didn't evacuate beforehand because it wasn't expected. It made a sudden turn. And once it made that turn and came on the very tip of that long peninsula, mm-hmm. it went the whole way up. It stayed on land the whole way up, just destroyed everything in its path. Uh, that and four days before it, Hurricane Norbert and at least two other hurricanes in the last 10 days have just brought so much rain to the southwestern U.S. where record drought going on, remember? California is desiccated. And, and it's desiccated, it's in flames, but it's also locally getting totally inundated. Mm. Cars just washed off. Well, that's the worst possible combination, you know, because the water yeah. just runs off. I mean, most of the whole, of the entire area is on uh, essentially in a drought, uh, yeah, drought warning. Um, they don't know where they're going to get the water from. Um, they may have to. I don't know. They're going. I don't know what they're going to do. People are just going to. I don't know where they're going to get water from. This is projecting forward, you know, if it continues. I mean, but at the same time, like you said, sporadically getting these kind of monsoon type things that just flood down hillsides and mountains and flood towns and cities. The only high, the only ways in and out of Las Vegas were destroyed. I hope maybe someone in the area can correct me on this, but as I understand it, Las Vegas was shut down for a while, about 10 days ago. I mean, the highway is just, just completely washed out. Um, and the point of all this is th- these are signs of things to come. Yeah, but if we just 
these are partially connected with storm fronts coming out of the sea, these hurricanes. Mm. But there are others that just come out of the clear blue sky. Mm. Uh, in in northeastern states, for example, there's no storm front one day. You can have one county, they don't even know it's raining in the next county over mm. where they have up to 10 inches of rain. Mm. It's just, some of this stuff is really weird. I mean, mm. Yeah, uh, everyone says the same thing. It's unheard of. Breaks all previous records. Obviously, the Montpellier one was massive, but ten days before that, thirty miles to the west in the south of France, there was actually an even more dangerous system that uh, killed six people. Uh, whatever way it fell, it gathered somewhere higher up in the mm-hmm. hills and then came down it was channeled through a valley and came mm-hmm. down as one solid block mm-hmm. and it just wiped out the small town mm-hmm. um, this is the kind of thing which I don't know in my mind I used to sort of hear would happen in India Thailand Monsoon. Pakistan monsoon places exactly China happening that, but those places too mm. are reporting record Rainfall, yeah. Yeah. Well, it moves up. But it's moving up. It seems that that, uh, I think it's called the Great Band of Precipitation or something like that, or something that basically causes... Around the equator, yeah. Around the equator that causes monsoons. Uh, that is moving north as part of an encroaching ice age. And the prognosis is that eventually that increased rainfall and, you know, flash flood that causes flash floodings, but the large amounts of rainfall in a short period of time will at some point in the future fall as snow Mm -hmm. in the northern hemisphere. So when you get uh, 10 inches of rain falling as snow, that's 10 feet of snow in a few hours. So there's, there's, get your, get your snow shovels out. It won't help, but get them out anyway. <laughs> there was an extraordinary incident in southeastern Spain two weeks ago. 20 minutes, a 20-minute long hailstorm. Just, <laughs> you're running out of words to describe it. It it flooded this town. And uh, there was a TV crew that got out there after. I, I didn't understand what, what the people were saying. They were speaking Spanish, of course, but just the look in their faces was like, this is impossible. I live in the south of Spain. It's practically the desert. It's summer. Exactly. It's still summer. It's September in why, south of Spain. Why it's am I degrees. shoveling two feet of hail from outside my front door? So that's the cooling of the upper atmosphere. And and like like we said, the... Uh, um, well, this the, the increased amount of precipitation. Yeah, but it, it goes way beyond that. I mean, this you got to think about what forces that would normally keep those, those macro climate situations, like a band of monsoon-type rains around the equator. Yeah, but what forces have changed so that that moves up? Something's clearly taken out of the equation or added to it, or the depending equator. on how you look at it. Well, slowing of the Earth's rotation... Changes in uh, global currents, uh, undersea currents, or I mean, all, that whole system is what has kept the the, the planet yeah in 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 under the 
has like, been for quite a long time. But when that suddenly starts to change, um, but you got to go further than that. Well, melting ice caps. Uh, further, all of these are symptoms of something much. Well, there's something else bigger. going on out there in the out, out there in the cosmos, but on the planet, there's there's a there's a direct observable effect that is being observed as to the changes that are happening. Yeah. What the ultimate cause is uh, is out there in, in in space or whatever, but ultimately on the planet, it can be tracked as to why these uh, climate changes are happening. Yeah. And they're happening because the entire system is changing. Sometimes I think the universe is toying with us. September 6th, it was a fairly widespread coverage about some near flyby of an asteroid. Can't remember the t- its number. Anyway, it was it was given a little bit of shrift in the media because it was going to fly within the geosynchronous orbits of some of our further satellites. So, you know, little titillation, but no fear, it's not going to hit. And the next day, there were two major fireballs, one of which hit. We were doing the radio show, I think we just heard it. In Nicaragua. A meteorite impact in Nicaragua. Since then, I think there's been an explosion. And they, they kind of semi-warned it because, oh, we're expecting a lot more NEOs, near-Earth objects. We're, we're entering some kind of debris stream. Well, there have been so many fireballs the last month. Mm-hmm. It's definitely picked up. And we've got American Media Society saying typically the last quarter of the year is where it really picks up mm-hmm. relative to the rest of the year. So it's going to be a rocky end of the year, folks. Uh, but hopefully we'll have a smooth end of the show, which is happening right now. Harrison's going to take us out with some interesting tidbits. Okay. Well, first of all, speaking of weird lights in the sky, the last week at least uh, has seen some weird UFOs. Did you guys see the the video of, at the Hong Kong protest? Uh-huh. That was a weird one. There were two separate. There were two separates. Yeah. yeah. So, so we'll check those out. We've got them up on SOT. But there was a, another one I just saw uh, last night over Breckenridge, Colorado. Uh, Friday morning, there were um, reports of three strange lights in the sky. Now, this was in broad daylight, and the news crew, a local news crew, actually uh, filmed it. And you can search this report and see the news report. And this guy, you know, he says he talks to ev- he talked to everyone, NORAD, the FAA. Uh, there was nothing going on in the area. And he and the people he talked to, they don't think it was drones either. You can see this thing. It's just a light in the sky, just a, a, a bright dot of light. And it was seen... Um, over this kind of valley, over these these hills, this kind of tiny mountain, and he said that they had their camera stationed like um, stationed on it, and it would be perfectly still for five to six minutes, ten to fifteen minutes, and then it would just zip to a new location, stay there for several minutes, and then zip. And you know, tons of people saw it. They got it on camera, hmm. and they. I haven't found the report for this one, but. In that same report, they said that there was a, there was a similar sighting the day before in Salt Lake City, and the the coverage of it was actually pretty good. You know, usually when you see, well, they do make the occasional joke, but usually when you see reports on the you know mainstream media on you know just regular news reports, they kind of play you know whatever. But this guy and the people he was interviewing were just genuinely, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't know what was going on. It was just this weird light in the sky, and that's. That's a recurring phenomenon, so it'll be interesting to watch. 
how that progresses. Yeah, I reckon so. There could be a correlation between the two. I think it, there's been an uptick in rocky lights in the sky and weird lights in weird the sky. Weird lights, yeah. Anyway, we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Uh, thanks to our listeners and to our chatters. And don't forget you can call in. Don't be a stranger. Anyway, we will see you next week with another show. Uh, until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.